There is a desire in every person to be loved and accepted by their father. And sadly, a lot of folks don't have that. A lot of people have lived with, uh, in homes where the fathers are, are absent or have abandoned. Some of them have dealt with issues where the father has hurt them, uh, either physically or with words and emotionally. And so there's a, a, a problem that we have in our country where we have this desire to be loved and accepted by our fathers, but too many of us don't have that. And we're, we're missing that. A recent study discovered that there are 15 million or 43 percent of all children in the United States are growing up without a father in their life. And this is causing a lot of issues that, it, and this is not a new phenomenon. This is something that's been going on for decades. And we're beginning now to see the repercussions of it. Uh, 90% of homeless and runaway children come from fatherless families. 80, and this, is, this shocked me, 80% of all rapists grew up in fatherless homes. That's a, a, just astounding to me. 71% of pregnant teenagers lacked a father in the home. 63% of youth suicides come from fatherless homes. 85% of kids with behavioral issues come from fatherless homes. 90% of teen arsonists come from homes that do not have a father in them. 85% of children that are in prison come from fatherless homes. So lacking a father or a, a good father in the home and having a loving, accepting father in the home is a serious issue that can cause serious problems that many people are dealing with. And maybe you're here and you grew up in a home that didn't have a father and you're not one of these statistics. You're the, the, the exception, not the rule. Maybe your father abandoned you or hurt you in some way, but it still causes issues in our lives. Uh, there are many people who struggle with issues relating to their fathers. Maybe it's issues of uh, security because of a missing relationship. Maybe it's bitterness that we struggle with because of hurtful words that were spoken years before. Maybe it's pain that we deal with because of neglect or abuse or hurt in our lives. The pain created by fathers that don't do what they're supposed to do or absentee fathers, it points to a longing for us, for every single one of us to have a relationship with a father. The bitterness over broken relationships reveal the need that we have for intimacy with the Father. We all desire to be loved by our Father. And this, this desire we have, it connects us to a longing we have to reconnect with God the Father. It's a longing that has been in the, the heart of man since Adam and Eve fell and were cast out of the Garden of Eden. It's a reminder of our longing to be reconciled to God, to be reconnected with the ultimate and perfect father. And so the absence of an earthly father, it creates a, a void inside of us. And the absence of a heavenly father leaves us empty as well. Augustine said this, he said, The thought of God stirs a man so deeply that he cannot be content unless he praises him because he made us for himself, and our hearts find no peace until they rest in him. We, as humans, we long for connection with God. We long to be accepted by him. We long to be his children and be called his father. And God 
promises to fulfill that longing. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, starting in verse number 17, the Bible says this. It says, Wherefore, come out from among them, uh, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. That's the acceptance. And will be a father unto you. And ye shall be, be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. For a lot of people, viewing God as a father is, is difficult. Because that word brings up bitter memories. Brings up feelings of abandonment or, or neglect or problems that we have with our earthly father. Fatherless children have become a plague in our culture. And the result is the adults who do not know how to trust God as a good and perfect father. And it's, it's one of the most destructive attacks of the enemy. Satan has set his goal for thousands of years to destroy the home and to destroy fathers. He realizes that pulling fathers apart from their children, he can corrupt our understanding of God as our father. And if he can corrupt our view of God, he can destroy our desire to connect with God. He can destroy our desire to have a relationship with God. God desires for us to view him as our father. Throughout the Bible, God is referred to as the father. In the Sermon on the Mount, the longest and first sermon that Jesus ever preached on earth, he continuously reminded us that God is our perfect father. So why does Jesus emphasize God as the father so much? Why is it so important that we understand God as our good and perfect father? Here's why. Too often, we focus on one attribute of God and forget the rest of the attributes of God. We focus on God's mercy and forget about his holiness. We focus on the grace of God and forget about the righteousness of God. But viewing God as our father, we, we get the complete picture of God. We, we see everything about him. God as our father shows us his holiness because he demands respect and authentic worship. God as our Father reminds us of his great love for us. God as our Father reminds us of his generosity. God as our Father reminds us of his kindness to us because he is our daddy. God as our Father shows us his sovereignty and his authority over all things. God as, his, as our Father reminds us of his knowledge and his wisdom. God as our Father reminds us of his justice as he disciplines his own. God is a perfect Father and God is your Father this morning. No matter how good your earthly father was, because I know some of you here, you had incredible fathers. And man, that's, that's great. But no matter how good your father was or how bad your father was, God is your perfect heavenly father. You are his child and you belong to him. The Bible says this in 1 John 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. The word bestowed there is in the active perfect tense. That means God always has and God always will fix his love upon you. God has loved you before you were even thought of existing. And we've all been called a lot of names throughout our life, and some of them we enjoyed, some of them we didn't particularly like that weren't true to our identity, but 
You are not just called a child of God. You're not the same person with a new title. If you're saved this morning, if you've accepted the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sin, you're not just called a child of God. You are a child of God. God is your perfect heavenly father. You are loved by your perfect father. But what makes God such a perfect father? Well, of course, it's his love. But what makes his love so great? We're going to see six attributes of God's love for you as, his, as the perfect father this morning. Number one, his love is eternal. One of the, being a father is one of the greatest experiences I've ever enjoyed in my life. It's a privilege to be a father. I remember when April told me she was pregnant with Parker. We'd been trying for years and started to lose hope and had a lot of anxiety about this. And we finally found out she was expecting and we were, we got it answered our prayers. Man, we were, we were ecstatic. We went and had the ultrasounds done and uh, got the pictures of him as he looked like a little lima bean. And then uh, we, now I don't, I don't know how they do it now because it's been many years, praise the Lord, since we had kids. But they used to, when they did the, the, the ultrasound where the, you know, he's kicking around, they used to have to take a VHS tape. How many of y'all remember VHS tapes? Yeah, the, those things where you had to stick it in, you had to rewind, you know, please be kind, rewind. And so they'd take a VHS tape and they'd record that. And man, we'd get that, we'd show everybody and we loved that. And man, as soon as we found out she was expecting, we started planning, we started reading books, started talking about and debating names and all kinds of things. And then we found out it was a boy. Man, we just kicked into the high gear, started painting the nursery, started putting cribs together, started finding doctors, I mean, just all this stuff. We were, we were so excited. And the instant I found out she was expecting, she was pregnant, I loved him. No matter what he looked like, like that, no matter how he came out, no matter what he ended up being, I loved him as soon as I knew he was coming. And it's the same with all our kids. As soon as we found out that she was expecting Connor, man, we just loved Connor. And we couldn't wait for him to come. And we found out she was expecting Lexi. First of all, it was, uh-oh. It was like, okay, well, great. And so, man, we just, every one of them, we've just loved them as soon as we knew they were coming. I'll tell Lexi, you know, when I put her to bed, I'll tell her, I say, man, I love you. And she's, I love you too. I say, I love you more. And I love you more. I say, I loved you longer. She says, no, I loved you longer. I say, I loved you when you were a peanut. Because that's what she looked like that first ultrasound. And she tells me she loved me when I was peanut butter. I'm not exactly sure what that means. But... As soon as we found out we were expecting our children, we, we loved every single one of them. And that's true with, with most parents. But here's the thing. I loved Lexi when she was a little peanut. But God loved her long before then. God loved her before she was ever created. God loved her before I was ever born. God has loved her and God loves you with an eternal love. Bible says before you were even in the womb, God knew you. And God loved you. He always has loved you, and he always will love you. Ephesians 1, 4 says this, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. God, before God ever said, let there be anything, God loved you. That's incredible to me. And here's the thing. God knew every mistake you would make. Because if you're honest, you're not very lovable. Neither am I. But all, every mistake I ever have made, every mistake I'm going to make, because I guarantee you there's going to be some more, there may be some doozies. But no matter what, God 
has loved me from eternity past and will love me to eternity future. And there is nothing that can take me away from his love. Romans 8 says this, For I am persuaded in neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love for you is eternal, which means it can never be taken away. There is nothing you can do to make God stop loving you because there's nothing you did to make him start loving you. His love for you is eternal. Secondly, his love is personal. When we, too often when we think of the love of God, we think of it in this all-encompassing love for his creation. For God so loved the world. And the world, of course, look in the, in the Greek, and the world means cosmos, which means all the, so God, so God so loved the creation. And yes, God loves his creation. God loves everything he's created. He loves all the animals, even the bats and the possums, which is weird. Uh, but he loves all those ugly little creatures. And he, he, loves, he loves us as a race and humanity. So, yeah, we think, oh, well, God loves us. And so it's a very impersonal, very all-encompassing love. It's kind of like my love for, for UVA. I love UVA football. Now, I don't have a deep abiding love for every player. I'm going to miss Alameda Zacchaeus. I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss some other guys that leave this year. I'll miss them, but I don't love them personally and deeply. I don't know much about him. I know Alameda is like, yes, I know, he, I know he's from Nigeria. Amen. And so that's what I know about him. And I know he is fast. Man, he's fast. And, uh, but, you know, it's like I, I know a little bit about him, but I don't, I don't love him. I love the team he plays for. And the only reason I know about him is because he plays for a team I love. But God's love is not like that. God loves me personally. And here's the thing, God not, only, God not only loves you, God likes you. How many of y'all, you, you got kids? How many got kids? You love your kids, right? Do you like them all the time? Let's be honest, we're in church. No. I was like, I love you, but man, I don't like you right now. You're getting on my nerves. You better go to work, boy. So we love them, but they don't like them. But God loves you, God likes you, God enjoys you, God, the Bible says God rejoices in you and delights in you. God loves you like a grandparent loves a grandkids. Grandparent love is different than parent love. Grandparents, man, they let the grandkids do anything. The grandkids can do no wrong. And you're like, I got spanked for that when I was their age. Oh, but they're so cute. God loves you like you're his grandkid. God loves you with a personal love. And God did more than just simply say he loves you. He showed he loved you by coming to earth, by living a perfect, sinless life, by dying for you a death you deserved, by being buried and spending three days in the grave, by rising again to redeem us to God the Father. God showed his personal love for you. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he focused on the personal love of God for us as his child. In Matthew 6, verse 9, he says, After this manner, pray ye, our Father. The word Father there is the Aramaic word Abba. Literally translated, it means Daddy. Father is a very impersonal kind of thing. I'm a father. But when my kids call me Daddy, so no one else can call me Daddy. It's just weird. But they can call him, he's a father. I am a father, but I'm there 
daddy. And what Jesus is saying is, yeah, God's heavenly father, but he's more than just that. He is, he's your daddy. And that personal, intimate love is the foundation for the entire rest of the prayer. Because he's our daddy, he can lead us away from temptation. Because he's our daddy, he'll give us our daily bread. Because he's our daddy, he'll provide and protect and love us and take care of us. Why? Because he loves us personally. God is your father, loves you personally and extravagantly. He knows you by name and he's involved in your life. His love is eternal. His love is personal. Thirdly, his love is intentional. When married couples tell the story of their, their, their relationship, it's, they're telling the story how they fell in love. Me and April, we fell in love back in high school. She didn't know it then, but she was a freshman and I was a sophomore. And we played soccer together. And man, we went to soccer games. We played soccer games together. And after every soccer game, we'd stop on the, the away games. We'd stop at a restaurant, McDonald's or something. And we, everybody, all the team would get something to eat. And man, I'd sit with April and we'd have a meal together. And man, I cherish those times. And she doesn't remember any of them. I tell her, say, yeah, we met when you were fresh. She's like, I didn't meet you until I was a junior. I'm like, no, we met two years before. I just made such a tremendous impression on her that she could. But, you know, we tell the story about how we fell in love, how we met. And I saw her and I thought, hey, here's a girl I want to get to know. And so I started, you know, took two years, but I finally talked to her, got some curtain and spent some time with her and started dating her and fell in love. And that's how we, we, we met each other and just fell in love. See, God did not fall in love with you. God didn't notice you one day and say, hey, there's somebody I think I may want to get to know. See how, see how things go. See if I like them. His love for you is intentional. He, before you ever were created, knowing everything about you, he chose to love you. And since he chose to love you, he cannot fall out of love with you. The Bible, when it talks about the love of God for us, it uses the example of adoption to show how God has intentionally given his love to us. Ephesians 1 says this, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. You were not a surprise. You were not an accident. God fully and intentionally chose you to be his child. He chose to love you. See, adoption is, is, is to me, it's, it's just an incredible amount of love. It's, it's a better example of love than birth. Because, yes, we, we, have, we have three children that we've had naturally through us, and we love each one of them. But you know what? It's kind of a, we don't know what we got. We love them, but we don't know what we're going to get. It's just, hey, luck of the draw, throw some DNA together and see what comes out, and that's it. But with adoption, you, you pick a child out. And you say, I choose to love that child and bring it into my life. One of the, the greatest examples of the greatest stories of this in the Bible is the story of Mephibosheth in 2 Samuel. Mephibosheth was uh, one of the descendants of Saul. And when King David became king and Saul was killed, his, his men, before David could stop them, went into the palace and killed all the descendants of Saul, all his, his, his children and grandchildren and cousins, because that's what you would do when a new king took power. He wiped out all the other descendants. So years later, they couldn't come and try to make a play for the throne. But Mephibosheth was able to escape. A nurse took him away and hid him away, but he fell. He was crippled. And years later, David, wanting to show mercy and kindness, says, hey, is there, is there anyone of the house of Saul that I can show kindness to? The woman said, well, yeah, there's a Mephibosheth. He's crippled. He's pretty useless. He can't do anything for you. 
he's, he's, he can't walk, he can't serve you, can't plow, he can't do anything. And he's, he's down in Lodibar, and he's one of Saul's descendants. And so David sends someone to go pick him up. Imagine how Mephibosheth must have felt. He was probably scared, thinking, well, David finally found out I was alive, and now he's going to kill me and just make sure that there's nobody there. So he comes into the king's palace, and he comes into the throne room, scared, not sure what's going to go on. And David says, hey, Mephibosheth, I want to show kindness to you. And he gives him back all the family land. And he says, Mephibosheth, from this day forward, every night you're going to eat at the king's table. Now, Mephibosheth was crippled. He, was, he, was, he couldn't serve, couldn't help David, couldn't do anything around the house, couldn't do anything to earn the love of David. He, was, he deserved death. He should have been dead already. But David showed him incredible kindness and mercy. David adopted him into his family. You are Mephibosheth. You are crippled by sin. You deserve death, but God gave you a new life by adopting you into his family. Just as David searched for Mephibosheth, God searched for you. Just as David gave Mephibosheth a place at the table, God has given you a place at his table. God has invited us into his family. He takes responsibility for us. He intentionally offers mercy to us. God has chosen to love you. His love is intentional. Fourth thing we notice here, his love is unconditional. As a perfect father, God loves you unconditionally. There's nothing you did to earn his love, so there's nothing you can do to lose his love. God doesn't love you because of you. God loves you in spite of you. God loves you in spite of all the faults and the failures and the flaws in your life. God loves you unconditionally. God loves you Period. Jesus told a story to demonstrate God's unconditional love. It's the story of the prodigal son. We all know the story. This, this prodigal son, he goes to his father one day and says, Dad, I'm, I want the inheritance that's due to me when you die. Now, that was an insult to the father because here's what he's telling his dad. Dad, I'd be better off if you were dead. So I don't want to wait around for you to die. So just give me what's due me now and I'll head out of here and we'll, just, we'll be done with each other. He rejected the father. He takes his money. He leaves, goes to a far country, thinks, I'm never coming back here again. I'm done with these people. I can do better on my own. Goes, man, he has fun. He parties. He has a great time. Wastes everything the father had given him until he finds himself poor and broke and feeding pigs just to stay alive. And for a Jewish boy to feed pigs was a, a, a loath. It was the lowest thing you could do. So he finds himself in just the worst possible situation. And he says, I've got to go back to my dad. But here's the thing. He doesn't say, I've got to go back to dad so he can take care of me. He goes, I'm just gonna, I just want to go be a servant. I don't want to be a son anymore. I'll just, I just want to serve my dad. I just want to be, be his servant. And so he, he goes home and he's heading home one day. And as he's walking home, the father from a far away away sees him because the father was waiting for him. Every single day, man, it's amazing. The father was watching for the son to come back. And when he sees him, he runs to him and he hugs him. And the son tries to say, Dad, I'm sorry. Just let me be a servant in your house. I'll just serve yours. But the dad won't let him even finish. He says, put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Put a robe on him. Let's, let's kill the fatted calf and have a party because my son has returned to me. And he reestablished him as a son in his house. Life away from the father was, was miserable. 
So he comes to his senses, he goes home, and he, the dad hugs him, and he restores him to his role as a son. And Jesus tells the story to show the unconditional love of God for us. His love for you is unconditional. He offers us mercy even when we leave him to find happiness somewhere else. Your father is rich in mercy. The Bible says his mercy is new every single day. He is always approachable. He is always eager to forgive. He is always ready for you to come to him. His love for you is unconditional. Fifthly, we see his love is generous. Your perfect father assumes responsibility for you. He's your provider. He's your protector. And he is a generous provider. See, God owns the entire world. And everything is under his control. And as his father, with tremendous resources, he promises to meet all your needs. In Matthew 7, he says this. He goes, oh, what man is there of you? Who, if his son asks bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, which is in heaven, good give, give good gifts to them that ask him? As a father, I want to give my children everything they want, within reason, and it's not bad for them. But we want to provide for them. We always want our kids to have it better than we have it. But God is a better father, a more generous father. And his generosity was demonstrated when he gave his only son to die in my place to pay for my salvation. He gives us eternal life. He gives us reconciliation with God. He gives us the holiness of Christ on our account. He gives us the Holy Spirit living inside of us. He gives us the eternal word of God. He has declared us as joint heirs with Christ. We have an incredible inheritance. Why? Because of our generous Father. His love is generous. But finally, His love is purifying. God's greatest desire for every one of his children is that we would be like him. That we would be holy as he is holy. He cares more about your sanctification than he does about your happiness. He cares more about your spiritual maturity than he does your comfort. God, in his love, will chasten and discipline his children to purify them. Discipline is an expression of love. Hebrews chapter 12 says this, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is, whom, is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, wherefore all are partakers, then ye are bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but are he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Because your father loves you so much, he wants the best for you. And so when he needs to do so, he will correct you. He will purify you to make you more like him. And it purifies your faith. God disciplines and purifies because he loves you. Your father's love is eternal, it is personal. It is intentional. 
It is unconditional. It is generous. And it is purifying. You are his child. You are loved and accepted. You are chosen by God. How should we react and respond to this reality? Because of his great love for us, we are to trust God and obey God. God's love for me means I can trust him with everything that happens to me. Because anything that happens to me happens is filtered through the love of God. Anything that happens to me happens because God wants the best for me. So it means I can trust him with every aspect of my life, knowing that he is working it all out for my best and his glory. And trust is a challenge. Trust takes faith, but trust comes out of love. As we trust him, we also learn to obey him. Obedience is more than doing the right things. It's more than doing what you're told. If I tell our children, I'll tell Parker, use Parker because he's in here and I can pick on him. I tell Parker, Parker, I want you to clean the kitchen. He goes, oh, man, I hate cleaning the kitchen. But he goes and cleans the kitchen. To me, that's not obedience. To me, that's, I need to beat you for a little while. And then, see, obedience is more than just doing what you're told because you can do what you're told with a bad attitude. Obedience flows from a pure heart with sincere motivation. It's, I'm going to obey God because God loves me. He wants the best for me. And because he loves me, I gladly and willingly will do anything God asks of me. His commands are not meant to hurt us or burden us. They're meant to protect us and free us. His love is more than we can ask for or more than we deserve. But because of his love, we can trust him. We can obey him. You are a loved child of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.